Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I couldn't be better. How are you today? <laughs> oh, same, same, Lance. And uh, today we speak to really an incredible advocate. Her name is Linda Conley, and her mom, Betty, was murdered in an unsolved case out of New York. Right. She was 17. Linda Conley was 17 on July 8th, 1993, when her mom, Betty, was working as a overnight clerk at a convenience store. This is in a, a small Saratoga County town called Charlton. And someone walked in at around 3 a.m. and robbed her of $100 and shot her dead. And there's been no justice since then. And Linda has really sort of started to carry the torch in a more aggressive manner now. And uh, we're really thrilled that she agreed to come on and sit down with us for a while. And, and it got a little emotional, as you can imagine. It really did. And Lance, the way we met Linda was really interesting because her and her friend Leanne Fivey produced this video. It's it's like a short sort of documentary style video with Linda in it talking about her mom's murder. And it was kind of, well, actually, Linda's, Linda tells us the story of how the video came to be, but... The way we saw it was because it was sent to us because it basically went viral because of how emotional it is, how much of an emotional wallop it packs. Yeah, and it, and it's a really well-produced video, too. This isn't something that is uh, shot on a, on a camera phone. It is, uh, it's got drone shots. Like, this is a professional photographer slash documentary filmmaker, uh, Leanne Fivey. And uh, she she's friends with Linda because Linda also does wedding photography. Quick plug for her. You can go to her website, lindaconley.com. That's Linda, C-O-N-L-E-Y.com. And they were just sitting down one day and Leanne had said that she wanted to do something that was more in the documentary field uh, realm. And you can hear uh, Linda tell the story. It's it's kind of cool because she just comes forward with this really dark chapter of her life that she uh, now has the opportunity to put out there. And uh, if you haven't seen the video yet, definitely check that out. Uh, it is so well shot and so emotional. It really is. So we will link to it in the show notes. So thank you very much, everybody. Really hope you enjoy this episode, this interview with Linda. Make sure to watch the video on Facebook. Thank you very much. Welcome to the podcast, Linda Conley. How are you today, Linda? Good. How about you guys? Oh, we're doing very well. Uh, we just want to thank you for coming on the show, taking time out of your busy day, your busy schedule to join us. Uh, your story came to us um, by way of this video that uh, was produced by your friend. But before we get into that, uh, do you want to just introduce yourself to the audience and maybe give a little bit of background? Yeah, sure. So my name is Linda Conley. I'm from upstate New York. In 1993, uh, after my life changed and my family's as well, uh, I'm a photographer. I'm in the wedding business. Yeah, so so that's that's pretty much my background. <laughs> and um, the video that was produced recently on Facebook uh, that Lance referenced um, was really powerful, and it was posted about three weeks ago. It's been viewed about a hundred thousand times and shared almost three thousand times. Well done on the video, um, but w were you expecting that? Yeah, so I wasn't. I was very pleasantly surprised that it got shared and it's been watched so many times. Um, it was actually released on the anniversary 
uh, of my mother's murder. And that was uh, with purpose. You know, I had been wanting to do something for a very long time, but I never felt quite ready. And so 2020, anything can happen. And um, this was the year to really start a big push to, to get this case moving and, and to get some answers. Now, you just referenced your mother. Uh, her name was Betty Conley. Correct. And you said in the um, in the early 90s, your, your life changed and your family's life changed. Uh, you were 17 years old, and this was uh, July 8th of 1993, correct? Yep, that's right. Can you take us through um, maybe a little bit about your, your family, close family, brothers and sisters, good relationships? Yeah, so um, my, my family unit is my mom and my dad and um, my brother, who is two years younger than I am. Uh, my mom and dad got married when she was 19 and he was 20. And uh, I was born when my mother was 20 and my dad was 21. You know, grew up in a small town, nice, hardworking, all-American family. Um, uh, we were close. My parents uh, were, I think, uh, from my perspective as a young adult, the what everyone would want to have in a, in a marriage. And then in 1993, my mother uh, was working at a convenience store. Uh, she had a few jobs, and this was just one of them. And uh, she was working there so that she could help me go to college. And uh, someone came in. Uh, the person has uh, not been convicted or arrested, and uh, or, or multiple people. It's that's still uh, not an answered question. Um, and they shot her in the back of the head and stole about a hundred bucks. Like I said, the person's never been convicted. Um, and so uh, the purpose of this video was to get it out there so that. People, A, knew the case wasn't solved because, you know, once it leaves the news media, people don't know what happens with, with the case. Uh, and it was also to to get it back in people's minds so they could see it and think about it because someone out there knows something. It's time to, to come forward. How did it all come about that your friend Leanne Fivey decided that this was going to be something that she tackled as a, as a small, uh, a short documentary project? Yeah, so uh, like I said, I'm in the wedding business, and she's in the wedding business. She's a videographer, and we were just having lunch one day, and she was like, Linda, I really want to do, you know, some more stuff. I love weddings, but I want to make documentaries. I want to do, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, well, I was like, I have a, I got something for you. And I told her, which she never knew before, and she's like, okay, let's do it. So I think it was in March or April. I set up a time to talk to my dad because he still lives in the same place uh, that he lived in back then. And he lives alone. And uh, Leanne and I went out and we filmed the location where my mother was murdered. We did some interviews with my dad. We went to the cemetery. And then um, around the beginning of June, I was like, Leanne, it'd be really cool if this could come out on the anniversary of, of her murder. On the night, that night, like July 7th, I think around like 1140. PM, she sent me a, a link and she's like, are you ready for this? And I was like, oh, I don't know. So I opened it and uh, I was just like, I was crying again and uh, completely moved and um, sent it to a couple friends that night. And they were like, oh my God, Linda. And like, it had a very strong reaction all around. And the next day I, I decided to basically um, kind of tell the world and um it just took off from there, and it's been it's been amazing. So, 
your your friend uh, who filmed it, uh, Miss Fivey, she was ready to to get into documentaries, do something a little bit different. Um, were you ready at that time to to? I, apparently, you were. I you know I don't know if you're ever ready to 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 do something like this, but I had been always wanting to do something. I just didn't feel like I was ready. And then this year, um, you know, I have more time because of COVID and I just felt emotionally ready. Cause like I said, I was 17 when it happened. I don't think there's any other better time for this to happen. And this is the time to really push and, and keep it out there and, and let these people know who did this, that it's not going away. They're going to have to look behind their back until this um, comes to a, a conclusion. I mean, we can hear it in your voice and, and see it, that it's uh, still emotional, obviously, is your mother. Um, in 27 years, nearly nearly three decades have passed, and there's been no uh, answers in this case. And I wasn't even going to ask this question when I decided to go into this topic until you said um, somebody needs to be watching their back. Uh, so the the purpose with the video is for this person to see it. And the purpose with doing these interviews is for whoever or whoever, if there's multiple people involved, maybe, maybe that can, you know, these things can be directed to them. These pieces of media can be directed to them and they can actually see the effect of a ridiculously small amount of money being stolen and a life being lost. And not only a singular life being lost, but this must've taken a huge toll on your family. What what kind of toll did that take on your on your dad and you and, and your brother? Yeah, so the purpose of the video uh, is not just for the people or person who did this to, to see this and to know about it, but it's also so that the people who know those people and the people who know something, because somebody knows something, and they need to understand that how this has affected so many people. And, you know, I don't know if... if if they're scared of the person who did this or, or, or whatnot, but it's also for them to see it because I need someone who's going to do the right thing and come forward and be brave and finally put this to rest. So it's, it's also uh, for that to happen. Um, and the, you know, Galway is a, Charlton is a small community. People know people, people talk like it's important that this doesn't just fade away like it did before. So that's also the purpose. In terms of my family, you know, my, my dad has never remarried. He will never remarry. He, I mean, obviously he was just devastated, uh, like everybody. I have a younger brother who was 15 at the time. And, uh, you know, he was kind of a, a little bit of a mama's boy in a good way. And, um, you know, it just devastated him as well. Just, uh, you know, to lose a parent is hard enough. But then in such a uh, completely senseless way, uh, just really uh, makes you have to question, I guess, life a little bit. And that's the flip side of this coming out is so many people are helping. And, like, people I don't even know are helping and coming forward and being supportive and, you know, telling stories about my mom. Like, uh, so there is definitely, um, you know, a flip side to, to all that dark, but... The, the person or people who did this uh, changed a lot of people's lives. You know, it, it, it's it's time that that be right. Have you had some contact with the investigating agency? Yeah, so um, at the time when it happened, my dad uh, was the primary contact. 
you know, when it, when it first happened, you know, they always look at the spouse. So uh, my dad was under a lot of uh, pressure and wrongful uh, looking at. So he obviously struggles with communication with the police for very good reason. He took a polygraph test. He passed. He's not a suspect, all that. But he still, you know, has feelings about that. Um, I met with them once back around 2000-ish. And uh, we talked a little bit about it, but they don't give any information out because they say it's an open case. You know, it was not necessarily a fruitful meeting. I remember one of the investigators commented about uh, my piercings, which I found odd and uncomfortable. So I didn't broach this subject again until I felt that I was uh, ready to, to deal with all that stuff. But I was in contact with them recently, and they've been great. There's a new detective on the case. Uh, it seems like they really want to get it solved. Um, you know, Saratoga County Sheriff, they don't want this on their record of never being solved. Uh, so if they can get it solved, I, I think it would make all of them uh, very happy as well. And we are talking and communicating. Do you know what happened the first time to make it go cold? Well, I mean, as, as a young adult, I... I don't know the specific facts. Like I said, I, I think they were looking at the spouse most heavily at the time. And so some time got wasted in that regard. Uh, I know that um, bullet casings were found in the store uh, after it reopened by a customer. So I think that maybe some things got missed. So yeah, I don't know exactly what happened to make it go cold other than um, maybe some decisions were made that could have been made differently. The population of Charlton, New York in 1993 was just over 4,000. I just looked at it real quick. It was 4,022, which is very small very uh, for, small. A, for a town. Yeah. Has there ever been anybody that you've looked at that lives there that you've thought that this might be somebody responsible? Oh, I mean, there's been a bunch of names that have uh, floated around. And um, like I said, it, it just comes down to one person doing the right thing. Uh, it's a super small town. There's a lot of rumors. There's a, a lot with um, some substance and there's some without any substance. Since this video has come out, there've been a couple of really good solid leads that, that could definitely lead to the ending results of this. Uh, I spoke with Global who owns Extra Mart, the store not that specific store, but they own Extra Mart stores, which is the store she was murdered in. And they're going to honor the $10,000 reward. I just found that out today. So that's huge. But yeah, there's there's all kinds of names that, that have flown around and a few specifically that keep coming up. So that $10,000 reward, is that for anybody who can come forward with information leading to an arrest? Correct. Yeah, great. that's great. Yeah. yeah. Good for them. Yeah, they're doing the right thing, which is much appreciated. So I notice um, where Charlton is located, there are some some interstates not far. It, obviously, you've thought about all these possibilities. Do you think it's somebody like a random robbery? You think that there's a, a good chance of that, and this person just got got on the highway? Uh, that's that's not really my thought on it. Um, you know, I just have hypotheses. I don't have uh, answers, but just you know to to. Happened at like 2.30 in the morning approximately. If you look at the location of that store, there's literally nothing around it open. 
So it's the only place open in the middle of nowhere. So I think it had to do with drugs and quick money and then go go get your drugs. You know, I don't know that for a fact, but it seems to make the most sense to me. And were you living at home when this happened? You were 17, so I imagine you were probably still living with your, your brother and father. Yeah, so I had just graduated high school like two or three weeks before, and I was still living at home, and I was planning to go away to college. And then this happened, and um, I didn't end up going away to college, and I did stay in the area. I wasn't home a lot just because it was you know, a lot of trauma, and dads and brothers are... Um, you know, like moms hug you and keep you safe and warm and stuff. And dads certainly keep you safe, but they don't necessarily, um, they're not the best communicators, I would say. But that's true of a lot of people. But at 17, I was just trying to figure out a lot of things on my own. And um, I was in the area for two to three years after that. But my brother had to stay there uh, a lot longer than me. And he had to return back to high school and like deal with the rumors and, and all of that. He has a little bit of a experience than I do. Yeah, I bet. I, I didn't think about the uh, rumors. I bet there was a lot of um, probably really outrageous rumors. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And, you know, people don't know any better, so they. it's a funny thing. I opened up a Facebook Justice for Betty Conley page, and it has over 550 followers, and it's only been up for about three weeks, and I'm hoping to get, you know, more and more people involved in that because I really think at this point in time, it just needs to, to still have people's attention and, and then it can keep moving forward. Yeah, definitely. I feel like people may relate to this on a number of levels. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm looking at pictures of, of your mother and she just looks like a genuine mom. You know, she has this look about her that I think a lot of people can relate to and say that kind of has a resemblance of my mother or, you know, my aunt or something like that. She just has a very family oriented look to her. Yeah. So I think that's a big draw in all this and just how genuine and uh, down to earth and like real you appear and, and even your father in that video, it's heart wrenching to watch your father, especially. I apologize for maybe asking too much, but what was it? What was it like in the days after you learned about this? How? What was his reaction? He's obviously devastated, like you said. But I'm really trying to emphasize the secondary victim part of this whole thing and how that rips people apart. Yeah. So my mom was 37 when she was killed, uh, younger than I am now. You know, they had been married 19 years. They were like both first and, and all that. And my dad's not necessarily uh, a talker. He's certainly a, a country guy who uh, doesn't express feelings too often. So um, afterwards, I, I think everyone was literally in shock because you're like, why, how did a 37 year old person die? First of all. And then when you find out how you're just like, what he had to deal with a lot. He had to deal with them looking at him. He had to deal with, you know, all the funeral stuff. He had two young kids to deal with. Um, he, you know, like I said, he, he never married again. He'll never marry again. Uh, he doesn't actively date. He lives alone. You know, he's totally depressed. You know, maybe, maybe it's better now, but uh, there's certainly parts of that that um, he still still lives with. Yeah. And like I said, my poor brother, you know, he's 15 and he found out that my mother was dead because uh, my dad, I was babysitting that night. So I had, I wasn't home the night that happened. 
And at like 6.30 in the morning, my dad called me and he's like, Linda, I got to talk to you about something. And I was like, what? You know, I was 17, is ready to go out into the world and uh, all independent. And he's like, yeah, I got to talk to you about the truck. And I was like, okay, because I, I had his truck at the time. And he came and as soon as he got out of the car, the way he was walking, I was like, something's not right, you know? And he op- I opened the door and he's like, Linda, your mom's dead. And I was like, what? And my first thought was like, she's totally healthy. There's nothing wrong with her. And he's like, yeah, she 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 was killed uh, working the overnight shift. And I was like, what? And I just like, you know, kind of lost it. And in that time that he came to get me, someone had called my dad's house because it's before cell phones and, and all that. And, and was like, my brother's name is Jeremiah. And they're like, Jeremiah, is this true? My brother's like, what? And they're like, your mom's dead. And so my poor brother had to learn it when no one was home and uh, at age 15. And, you know, there's just ripples, just ripples out this kind of thing. And uh, for it to be so completely senseless um, is unforgivable. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what that is like in the in the morning that it happens and the subsequent days. And really, it's it is it is senseless. And you're doing a really good job, like keeping keeping the frustration down, too, because I feel like a lot of frustration can build up over 27 years when it comes to this. And you're not speaking poorly about law enforcement currently. You said that they um, they're they have a good uh team that's that's behind it now is there new investigators and and they're they're better at communicating with you and your family or just better at saying listen we can't communicate with you i i think since i reached out to them they have been communicating um with me and i appreciate that i could certainly be mad about the way things went in the beginning but i don't think that would be productive so my goal right now is to just work on the case, get it solved and, you know, move on. Cause I can't go, can't go back in time. I can't change what the previous investigators did. I can't do any of that. I can just let the police know that, Hey, I'm here. I'm paying attention. I'll be asking questions. And so will these, you know, 500 people who are behind me and hopefully that number will keep rising. But yeah, you could easily get frustrated and mad, but my goal is to get this solved. So lashing out, I'll go to the gym or something later, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Glad you have some uh, healthy way to uh, to get rid of some of that energy. Obviously, it, it takes a lot out of you, um, I'm sure. Uh, and we've seen it a lot in, in the folks we talk to. Um, and, and to Lance's point a couple minutes ago, like uh, you're, you're a great advocate. This is the, you, you are what some people are connecting to in this case. So just know that you have a lot more than 500 people behind you, I would say. Thank you. Yeah. Let's, let's get that number growing too. Cause that's really is what is making this happen is, is news and podcasts and Facebook and sharing stories and talking about it. That's what's going to, going to get this solved. Well, speaking of sharing stories, is there anything um, about your mother any story that stands out that you, that you can talk to us uh, about here? Um, I know she was working the overnight shift. Uh, did she have a, a day job as well? Um, was she balancing a couple of things there? Yeah, she also worked at, um, there's a restaurant in Galway, uh, which is actually where we live. Charleston was down the road. 
Uh, and the restaurant's called the Crock and Bowl, and it's kind of a fancy restaurant. And she was uh, an assistant chef there. And she also worked at the time, there was a store called Chuck's, literally across the street from the high school, and she worked there. And so that kind of plays into it because the high school kids at the time could get a pass and like go across the street to the store and like have lunch and, and all that. So she knew a lot of the, the high school kids. So um, the thought is possibly she knew this person who did that to her from, from working across the street from the school and knowing so many of the kids and um, teenagers and, and, and that who, who went over there. Were there a lot of rumors about that in, in the school? Like I said, I didn't go back to school after that because I was done, but I heard names of kids who I did go to school with uh, and some names of kids I did not go to school with. So uh, I assume because she was so um, out, kind of out there publicly that whoever did this knew who she was and probably didn't want to be identified. Any of those people um, get in trouble later in life? So to be honest with you, out of every every possibility that's come up, Almost every single one of those people have been a less than productive member of society in some form or another, which does give me solace um, in a way because, you know, when you don't have resolution, you also you wonder about things. So it has given me solace that I'm a good productive member of society and whoever did this obviously um, has had kind of a rough life. I assume part of that is because they haven't dealt with something that they were a part of or did. But yeah, there were, there's a, there's a lot of names and a few specifically that keep coming up. So I do have hope this will be solved this year. Is the, uh, the towns and the, um, the adjacent towns, were they uh, particularly high in crime or anything? It sounds like they weren't. No, I mean, Galway is kind of situated between uh, Saratoga and like broad Albin, um, the largest town that's, not like Saratoga would be Amsterdam. That would be probably the, the town where um, someone could have gotten stuff at, at that time in 1993. Uh, but it was all very rural. So, and like I said, late at night, and that was the only place open at the time that you could get some quick money. Now, you're uh, also a, a photographer. Was that something that you were into back then as well? No, not really. So at the time, I um, decided to go to college, and I got a criminal justice degree, and then I graduated and I was like, I don't think I could be a cop. You know, I was too rebellious in my own way at that point in time. And I found that I liked making things and being artistic and creative and photography is um, where I found that outlet. And it's been great because so many people know me now from it. And I have so many resources and people who do all kinds of things that are that are helping out. And I'm super appreciative of it. So if anybody has information about this, where do you typically tell them to, to go? What's the uh, proper channels? Yeah, so what I've been telling people is that they can uh, email the Saratoga Sheriff's Department. Detective Boye is specifically the detective in charge or um, Detective Brown, either one of them. If someone is afraid to contact the police, they can reach out to me. My cells, my phone number's on there. Uh, you can catch me on Instagram or Facebook or, or any of that, but Either way is, is a good way to uh, to reach out. 
I know that you said that the uh, law enforcement and the investigation, uh, they kept pretty tight-lipped about everything, but is there any clues or anything? Any? Um, you said there were some shell casings that were found the next day or when they reopened and, and they were found, uh, I think you said, by customers. But is there any uh, any other clues or, or anything that's uh, linking something to the, to, the, uh, to the scene or somebody to the scene? Yeah, like I said, there's been a couple of good tips that have come in. Uh, one was previous to the video I put out, and one was after. Uh, they, Like I said, the police, it's an active investigation, so they don't really tell me anything because they tell me something, and then I say something, and then it kind of muddies the waters if they find the person they think did it or someone could say they did it and didn't do it or whatever. So it's all the wheels are kind of rolling to, to get this solved, and it's just really about about people, you know. Um, there's a couple small things of evidence that, that they have that I don't think anyone really knows about. But it's also, like I said, about someone coming forward and, and being brave and kind of getting this off their conscience and, and letting everybody heal. Because I'm sure the people who know who did it suffer too. And it's time to come forward. And you recently visited the store that it happened in in the video. Um, was that something that you have done before is just gone to that scene and, and looked in the windows and is the store still there? Is it still, it didn't look like it was an actual functioning store in the video. What is it now? No. So now it's a, it's an empty building. After that, um, I stopped into the store once when it reopened just cause I just kind of felt like I had to. And I walked in and I just walked out and I, I never went back there again. And so we did the video, uh, but the, that building has turned hands over many times. There's, not been a successful business in that building um, since. And uh, going back is always difficult because you, you know what happened there. And so, yeah, it was, it was upsetting and challenging um, to, to go there. But also, you know, therapeutic, like I said, I'm, I'm 44 now. And uh, I have always felt like I needed to do something and, you know, with COVID, there's not many weddings going on, and I just really have time to, to dedicate to this and also um, the emotional ability to do so. And uh, so I think it's really important that I just need to let whoever do th- did this know that. Like, it's not going away. I'm not dropping it. They're going to have to to come forward and, and, you know, make this right or look over their shoulder for the next 10, 20 years, however, because it's not going away this time. How old were you when you went back to the store for the first time again? Jeez, I don't know. I was probably 18, 19. I I probably did it shortly after because it was still an extra mart at the time. After she was killed, um, it stayed an extra mart for a little while, but they just shortened the hours, so it wasn't an overnight store anymore. But it, it, it wasn't too, too long after that. I actually had to go pick up my mother's car from the store. But I didn't go in the store when that happened. But it was a few days after I had to go pick up her car and drive it home. So I've probably been there three times in total. And that last one was with Leanne Fivey. Jesus Christ. You had to go pick up her car a, a few days after she was murdered. Yes. I had to go pick her car up and drive it home. Uh, my dad had to go identify her body at the scene of the crime. So that, that had to just... That probably can never leave his brain, you know? Oh, no. So some things could have been done better. <laughs> yeah. And uh, was that a gas station, too, at the time? 
Yeah, it was a gas station as well, and they also had like some little food stalls. And, you know, it's a regular convenience store. Do you know if the killer is or killers got gas? You know, I don't know the answer to that. You know, it was before cell phones and caller ID, and I don't even know if you had to go inside to pay with a credit card. I don't know. You know, I don't know the answer to that. I know they had a lead on a car. I don't know if it's substantial or not. Uh, and it's hard to know the exact time of death because it was before, like I said, before cell phones. So, um, you know, someone had to find a phone to call it in. But maybe the police know that. I just don't. And who actually called it in? It was, from what I understand, it was a, a local regular because people would go there early in the morning. You know, like three, four, whatever, to like get their bagel and coffee. It was before stewards were all over and that. Uh, so I believe it was a regular who who found her and called it in. Did they call it in from the store or from a payphone? Um, I'm not sure which which they did. Oh man. Well, payphones were all you had then, right? So it was either the yeah. company store or payphone at the store. When uh, when you were talking to your friend uh, Leanne about doing this. Did you immediately say, like, I got this? Because you said, you know, I, I've got a story for you. I've got this. It's a, you know, a dark chapter in my life. Did you think that maybe you had been waiting for a moment like this and you you needed someone like her to kind of pull that out of you a little bit? Totally. Yeah. You know, she's super talented. The, the time is right for this to happen. Uh, I, you know, in the past, if anyone would even say anything about my mom, I would just like, start crying so it just it's the right time you know and she did it she did a great job i'm forever grateful for her and i her family photos for life basically but no everything kind of came together and like i said because because of covid uh all my weddings are postponing which frees up a lot of time for me to work on this and um like i said anything can happen it's 2020 and i think this is the year yeah, I agree, and I hope so. Yeah, we, we're we seeing other cases we're covering, too. We're hoping 2020 is the year. We feel like there's a lot of change in the air, you know? Definitely, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just, uh, in preparation for this interview, looking at the number of articles that have come out just recent, because of this in the past two or three weeks because of this video. And I know it's 27 years later, but I feel like everything is sort of everything works on a cycle. Everything operates on a cycle. And I feel like what happened with your mother, this, this is her, the time 27 years, or, you know, it just happens to be 27 years, but this, this is a time where it becomes like a full circle uh, event. So yeah, this is uh senseless and tragic, but hopefully we can get some resolution. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, uh, like I said, all the news people and podcast people have been so, so helpful. Um, I'm going to be on the news today. Uh, on Channel 10 with Anya Tucker. Um, there's lots of great things happening. And anything can happen in 2020. Also, amazing job with your photographs, just yeah. to let you know. Yeah, it's... great work. Yeah, thank you, though. I, I appreciate that. I think that the the photography has definitely helped with this because uh, I know so many people and so many people care, which is huge. Yeah, especially when you're doing wedding photography, you sort of get that relationship with your clients and you watch them go through like a wedding. It's a very important day. It's like a life-changing event for them and you're the one capturing all the memories. So have any of your clients heard of this and, and reached out to you and any of your, your closer clients? Yeah, I've had such uh, such amazing support 
from this, from clients, from, from my regulars, from people who aren't my regulars. I posted the video and then I, it wasn't planned, but then I went away for three days and I got some messages and people were like, oh my God, Linda, oh my God, this is happening, this is happening. And then I was glad I was away or else I probably would have been obsessively watching it. But I came back and I had like, you know, probably a hundred emails and, and everyone's saying all this stuff. And it's not really a story. You tell people just to tell people because like there's a lot of feelings and people get sad themselves and all this stuff. So it was pretty much um like me coming out all over again, you know, and, and people were like um, very, very supportive. And Well, I think Tim kind of alluded to it before that we've uh, seen similar situations happen with other cases that we've looked into and covered. And there's always this feeling that happens when we're, when something important is sort of on the, on the horizon with one of the cases and hundred percent of the time it's because of this uh, community that's behind it. All of a sudden there's a surge in energy and a surge in like, I know it sounds kind of like melodramatic, but a surge in like this positive movement. Mm -hmm. And that that's way more powerful than somebody just not saying something or a family member knowing that their brother might have done something stupid for drugs. Like all of a sudden people sort of get infected by that and, and they want to do something better. Yeah. And I've had people call me and be like, Linda, I've had this tip and I always wanted to say something, but I never knew. And you know, now people have a way to, to reach out and, and to, to say things that they need to. And um, there's certainly, you know, an emotional connection. And like I said at the beginning, people now know that it's still unsolved and they can kind of tune into it again. So, I don't know if you have a particular memory of your, your mother that you'd, you'd want to share, but I'm really curious if you have anything that stands out. Yeah, this one, this one gets me. Uh, this is, this is where you start talking about, you know, the person, not just the acts. And um, this one gets you. So um, I there's two, really. I talked to my aunt the other day, who is my mom's sister. And she was telling me her, one of her favorite memories of my mom, which um, I think represents my mom a lot. And she was like, her name's Rosie. My aunt Rosie was like, your mom came over with a pallet full of flowers. Uh, Cause my mom also worked in a greenhouse and my aunt Rosie was like, what are you going to do with all these? And my mom was like, well, half are for you. And we're going to go to the cemetery and plant the other half. And Rosie was like, where are we going to plant them? And my mom's like, we're going to plant them uh, at the graves that like don't have a lot of stuff and like seem to have not had people come and visit. So her and my aunt went to the cemetery and planted flowers at some of the graves that that um, hadn't seen visitors in a while. And so that is like one of my favorite stories uh, of my mom. And I have two two of my own. Uh, I was a teenager and I slammed the door on her face. And she literally took the door in both our hands and ripped it out and was like, never slam the door on me again. And I was like, oh, no problem. <laughs> 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 Never slam the door again because it's no longer on hinges. Basically, and I don't think it still has a door as of now. Those are uh, a couple uh, stories about her um, that represent. Uh, she was just a really good person. What, what do you think it was about wanting to plant flowers on graves that hadn't had visitors in a while? What did it mean to her? Uh, my mom, her, my mom was one of eight, and. 
her mom died when my mother was a nine. So uh, at the time, their dad couldn't take care of all of the kids. So a lot of them went into foster homes and they got really spread out and they didn't really grow up together. So I think she was always just like a compassionate person. Wanted to kind of spread a little bit of uh, of that love and uh, going to the... It was just a nice thing to do. So I, I think that's why she did it. That was your worst question. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. He's a jerk. He does that all the time. <laughs> I do. I'm. That's your part in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's almost a good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh. yeah. Yeah, she must have had a ridiculous amount of friends. I mean, she worked three jobs, right? So she must have met, basically, they're all in the service industry, right? She was a, a chef, and she worked all all front-facing, like, customer-facing jobs. So she was nonstop on and and always always saying the right thing, I'm sure. Yeah, she was in the service industry. She didn't actually graduate high school because um, uh, her, her sister uh, wasn't in school anymore, and she wanted to see her in... She had to get a job and all this other stuff, but oh, if you look at like the Facebook page uh, or even my own page, you'll see stories from people who I don't even know who they are who would be like, Betty was so nice and she did this, and uh, she was definitely um, known in the community, and, and people thought very highly of her. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter, Brianna, disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait.